Well, good morning, everybody. We're a bit thin this morning. People on holiday. Yes, there's some women away. Uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Uh, Misty, good to see you. And Luke or Lucas. It's one of those two. It's good to have you here. And we've got some visitors. Annika and Muriel Bell. Um, mommy with the baby. Oh, there's the baby. Oh, is that Benny? No, that's Benny. Um, who put these flowers here? Shannon, did you put last week the flowers as well? That's incredible. Thank you. Let's give a hand. I mean, it takes so much work. I can't even imagine how much work it is to make these things. I mean, it's incredible. So, wonderful. All right. We are dealing with a, a quite um, intense topic. We're talking about how the human race is trying to play God. We are reaching a point where we think that we are little gods. And what I spoke about last week was the concept that we are trying to make sure that justice takes place on the earth. But the Bible says there's only one person that can accurately judge and make justice, real justice, and that's God. That was last week's topic. This week, I want to talk about immortality. Living forever. Living even though we die. Because it seems like this is a big topic in the mo at the moment as well of what humans are trying to do. We're trying to defy death. We're trying to find ways to live forever. Except going through Jesus. All kinds of ways to live forever. Now, the guys who know what they're talking about talks about eternal life versus eternal oblivion. Eternal oblivion is this. When you die, that's it. You're nothing. You turn to dust. You have no soul. There is no spirit. Nothing happens to you. You cannot live forever. That's just the way that it is. We, however, have come this morning because we do believe in eternal life. Now, the growing trend in the world as the world is becoming more atheistic and more secularist, the growing trend is this. Eternal life doesn't exist. It's ridiculous. When you die, that's it. Nothing's gonna hap nothing happens after that. So what they say is this. The afterlife was invented to deny eternal oblivion. In other words, the critics of people like us are saying the reason why we talk about heaven and why there's religion and why people believe in life after death is because... Human beings, we couldn't handle the concept of eternal oblivion, that we're going to die and that's it. We don't like that. Now, for a very long time, people have thought that this belief in life after death is a recent thing. It's only recently developed among the human race. You know, the, the scientists and the evolutionists and the archaeologists and whoever-ists there, there are, are saying the earth is billions of years old and it's hundreds of thousands of years that you, ago that humans lived, etc., etc. And so we've been here for a long time. But the evidence that they have proposed for, 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 for the longest time have said that the human race actually only believed in life after death for the last about 12,000 years. Maybe about 12,000 years. That's what they say, the experts are saying. 
How do you know people 12,000 years ago believed in life after death? Well, you, look at the, you, you go look at the way that they were buried. There's some indication there. Um, for example, in, in Egypt, this, this was inscribed on one of the um, linens attached to one of the dead mummies. This was a message to Osiris. Hail to thee, O my father Osiris, Egyptian king. I have come. That's a dead person. On a dead person, this is written. I have come and have embalmed this my flesh so that my body may not decay. That's why the Egyptians did it. Because they believed if they embalmed their bodies, they're going to use it again. Right? That's evidence that the Egyptians believed in life after death. When you go to Mesopotamia, people were buried with gifts for the gods. They believed that they're going to live again. When you go to uh, Greece and Rome, people were often buried with a coin in their mouth. If you look at that skeleton over there, you'll see there's a coin in their mouth. Why were they buried that way? Because they are paying the gods to enter into Hades. They believed. Hades is the place of the dead. So they believed that they were going to live again, even though they die. Some believed that immortality could only be attained through remembrance by the living. As long as the living remember us, we'll stay alive. So how can you get people to remember you? Well, you go and you build a huge monument with your name on it. Here's, here's an example of one of those. This is one of the, 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 the most intriguing pieces of, of um, statues or whatever you want to call it in Greece. So people see that and they, they go read the name on it and they remember that person. And that keeps the person alive in the afterlife. The Greeks believed that the dead were capable of malevolent action... In other words, do bad things, be ghosts that go around if they didn't receive food. The Romans took that a little bit further and they would um, build into their tombs feeding tubes to feed the dead corpses so that they stay happy and don't come back and harm people. China, also very interesting. Have you ever seen this? The terracotta army. Absolutely incredible. The terracotta army is, is literally an army sculpted for the first emperor. When he died, this stuff was buried with him. This whole army, uh, 8,000 soldiers, 130 chariots, 520 horses, 150 cavalry horses. Why? To protect him in the life after death. You see, they believed in life after death. The Chinese had, had some interesting things that they, they did. Um, they would bury people in a way that they would have everything that they would need to live as if they were on earth. They would leave food with them. Sometimes people would be buried alive with them, servants and concubines, to serve them in the life hereafter. Um, the, the Liu Sheng tomb was designed like an actual house, complete with windows, stables, storerooms, cookbooks, and a bathroom. You can even go... Grab a number two in the life you're after, it seems like. Makes you think, right? If you lived in that time, what would you put in your tomb? What do you want to take with you? Now, these discoveries in tombs fit the theories about man, humans, creating this concept of immortality. We don't like dealing with death, so we're going to make as if there's a life you're after. They say that we are animals. 
the scientists, the secularists. The, the pro projection of the world is this. We are just animals. And they give a name for us. Who knows what our name is? Homo sapien. That's what we are called. Homo sapien. Now, homo, contrary to what you think it means, means man. Sapien or Sapien means wise. And so Homo sapien means wise human. Because we are different than the other animals. And I want to picture that to you today. It is true we are different than the other animals. In actual fact, to the extent that I wouldn't say that we are animals. We are Homo sapiens. We are wise humans. And the archaeologists have been studying human ancestry for th many, many years, trying to figure out many things. But as I said, they have always claimed that this concept of immortality or life after death is new to the Homo sapien family in the, among the animals. It's new. Until in 2013, very interesting, I didn't know this, 2013, they found a bunch of bones in a cave in South Africa. It's called the Cradle of Humankind. Actually, we live close by there. I used to go cycle, ride my, bikes in that, my bike in that area. It's a great cycling area. You'd have hundreds of people on a, on a Saturday morning riding their bikes in that area. They found this cave. I didn't even know this, even though I lived there. I actually lived there in 2013. 2013, they found this cave. They've now made a documentary about it. Uh, you can go check it out. It's on Netflix. And if you want to watch something interesting, go check it out. It's called Unknown Cave of Bones. They found this cave. And they, they, they found bones in there that they've never found anywhere else. This seems to be... They're part of the homo, homo, homo gene. That sounds bad. Okay. But in any case, they are like part of our family apparently. But they are shorter. They're smaller. And they've got a smaller cranium. Their brain is about a third the size of ours. Okay, and they called them Homo naledi. It's a new uh, offshoot of our ancestors, according to the evolutionists. So they they found some of their bones, but here's the intriguing part. That's the cave system they found them in. So, at, that's the entrance to the cave, right? And then they would go down, down, down. That, they've got to crawl through that space. It's a very small space. They crawl through there. It's called the Superman's Crawl. And then they get into this chamber over here. And in, in that chamber over here, they found evidence of fire that was made at different places. Okay? And then they go up there, what they call Dragon's Back. And then down that little neck over there is a chute. I think it's about 30 feet deep. Something to that extent. And... It's very hard to get in there. You've got to be like, I might just get in, but anybody bigger than me probably won't. And you go down that chute, which is dangerous. You've got to go down there with ropes and whatever. And then they got into this chamber there, which is called, I hope everybody can see it. That's the Dina Lady Chamber, what they call it. And when they got in there, so it's difficult to get in there, right? And when they got in there, they found like 15 skeletons of this, these creatures, or whatever they are. But, here's something interesting. They were actually buried. 
They were neatly buried. When they look at the way the bodies were, were placed and they were underground, they were excavating, they found them, they were actually buried there. And then they came to realize this was a burial site. And these fires that were made in there all the way up, were, they were actually using physical fire to light the way to get to that bottom chamber. These people, beings, whatever they were, they would carry their dead and take them down that chute, down that cave, and bury them. And this shook the world. This shook the archaeologists because they said, no, 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 no. It's only about 12,000 years ago that people worried about the dead and believed that there's a life after death. They dated this 300,000 years ago. Now, we're not going to get into the dates. Don't worry about that. I find it extremely intriguing. One day they went down the chute over there, 2018 I think it was, recently. They went down the chute, they saw something at the bottom, and they started clearing it up. And then they found this on the left there. <laughs> That's a package of bones. And they didn't want to disturb it too much, so they put um, gypsum around it to make it hard. And they took it out of the cave, and they took it to France, and they had it 3D scanned. And that's what you see on the right-hand side there. It's an infant. It's a, it's a small, one of the small homo ladies. And in his hand, there, they 3D examined that. They didn't want to break up this whole thing. It's a, it's a, a tool or a toy, a type of knife in the hand. And now they theorize, when you, go look at the, um, when you go look at the documentary, they theorize that this child was buried with its favorite toy or tool because it's in his hand. Now the whole world, the whole secular world, the archaeology world is like on its feet. It's like, how can they have believed in life after death? Because that's what it signifies. How would, why would you bury somebody with a tool or a toy if you didn't believe that they're going to use it in the life you're after? That's what they are theorizing. I find, that, I find that interesting. And the point I'm trying to get at is that the human race continually try to figure out what's going on and they can't get to the root of it. But this is the point I'm trying to make. As far back as we can discover Humans believed in immortality and longed for it. Now, hang in there. We're going to get to a point soon. Don't worry about it. But this is the key. I, as, as I progress, what I want you to just think about. As far back as we can discover, from a human perspective, take the Bible and God out of it. As far back as we can. Humans have believed in immortality and have longed for it. The question is, what about today? What about today? There's a new documentary out as well. I don't know if anybody's seen this. Has anybody seen this? Hope Frozen. A quest to live twice. Precious little girl that, isn't she? Cutest little face. This is about a Thai couple who had this little child. And when the child was about three years old, developed brain cancer. The dad was a scientist, and he would spend night and day trying to find a way to cure her of her cancer. He studied her cancer, tried all kinds of things, had biopsies of the, the actual cancer, and tried all kinds of medicines to kill it. 
I think she had something like 12 surgeries. Her head was eventually like really deformed. But the dad, because he was so in touch with his cancer, he started to realize at one point, she's not going to make it. She's going to die. So he started researching something else. Is there any other way to let her live again, even though she's going to die? So he found some good research. This, cryonics. Anybody ever heard of cryonics? Yes. Cryonics is when you... Is, I've got actually a definition for us here. The process of preserving living things. It stops the process of dying. So he thought if, he can, if, if she dies, then he can immediately take her body and have it frozen. And then maybe someday she can wake up again in a world where technology is different, where cancer can be treated better, and he can see her again. Gives you a bit of hope, right? doesn't it? It's the low temperature freezing and storage of human remains with the <coughs> speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the future. So, she died. The guys who do the actual freezing, they were there. And what they've got to do is they've got to empty all system of the blood. They've got to de dehydrate you. And then they freeze you at, I think it's something like 200 degrees, minus 200 degrees Celsius. And it costs $200,000 to have your body frozen. And if you just want your brain frozen, it's $80,000. This place is in um, Arizona. Elcor is the name of the place. And this is done in the hope that one day, when technology has advanced enough, people can be brought back to life. They can be thawed. And their disease can be healed and they could live again. And as I watch this documentary, and it's just interesting that all of these things are coming at the head, like sort of in my life, in this last few weeks. There's so many thoughts that go through my mind. Can you imagine? How would, how would things change for you if you could freeze your loved one? Within one hour after a death, they had her frozen. What, what, what? To stop the process of decomposition. To stop the process, the natural process of your body decaying. Right? The text talks about um, the body not decaying. Right? That that's what would happen with Jesus. How does that change life if that was possible? A few things came to my mind. What if she does get revived one day? Picture with me how that would go. What if she does get revived? She will still have cancer in her brain. It's like, can you imagine? It's like you never aged, but you come back to life, and it's like 50 years later, but you're still in the same body with the same disease, with the misshaped head because of all these operations. She would still be on the same planet where there's still suffering and pain and disease. She'd still be here. Where people die, where sin reigns, and she will die anyways, again, differently, maybe. But when she wakes up, maybe her parents won't be alive anymore. 
Do you see what a mess it actually is? When we try to defy death, I cannot see a good outcome. We cannot do what only God can do. The question, and this struck me in the middle of the documentary, the question that came up was this. Even if we can preserve her, has anyone been brought back to life? That's a key phrase for me in the whole documentary. Even if we can preserve her, has anyone been brought back to life? Ladies and gentlemen, has anyone been brought back to life? Yes. Someone had, was brought back to life without technology without humans, without liquid nitrogen, just the power of God brought Jesus Christ back to life. The same power that lives within us. A third thing that came to my mind is this quote. Where I think it was the dad said, we're heading towards deathlessness. He thinks the human race is heading towards the point where we won't die. He says, Eins will wake up in a world without disease. That's the little girl. At one point, a man in California, so they froze this little girl in 2015. And I think it was about three, four years ago. They found out that this guy, the scientist or whatever he is in California, had managed to thaw the brain of a rabbit. Now, these people live in Thailand, and they heard about this. And, and apparently, he had thawed the brain of the rabbit successfully, even though they haven't planted the brain into a rabbit and seen if the brain actually works. So this guy from Thailand, the, the, the older brother of the kid who was frozen, flew to California to talk to this guy and say, so did you get it right? Is there hope for my sister one day to be thawed back so she can live again? What, what happens in the brain? So, and then this guy unfortunately says to him, I'm sorry, there's a 0.1% chance that the brain of a human will be thawed back properly to the point that it can have memories. Because when the brain gets dehydrated and then frozen, the membranes freeze and break. And so what this poor brother came to here in California is, sorry, it's basically impossible to resuscitate his sister and bring her back to life. And even if that was possible, she would have no memory. Can you imagine how hard that is? And so he phones his dad in Thailand, and they are FaceTiming each other, and then the dad makes this comment. If you believe humans will one day travel the universe, this, then this won't be a problem. <coughs> and I thought about that for a moment. Is traveling the universe such a big deal? Today, uh, we've got rockets going up in the air. I think what's a bigger deal, in my opinion, a much bigger problem than traveling the universe, is making human beings immortal. But yet, that's what we all want. We want to live forever. And so, I looked at the name of the thing again. Hope frozen. Because that's what it is. It's hope that's frozen. You see, you have... It's sort of like you have one of three options. <clears throat> you live or you die with no hope or you try and find a way to have a little bit of hope in 
the person's death. That's what they did. Because if we freeze her, maybe, just maybe, it's, it's a little bit better than just burying somebody, right? Because just maybe this person can come back to life. It's like they found a middle way. And I was reminded of this verse. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. This is what sets us apart from the rest of mankind. This is why they are seeking freezing uh, incubators or whatever you want to call it. This is why the secular world is looking for this. Because they don't have an hope in eternity. They've got nothing. Because without Jesus, there is no life after death. Without Jesus, your loved ones, my loved ones who have died, they are nowhere. They are nothing in the atheistic worldview. And the only hope you have is like a freezing incubator and technology and maybe one day in the future a doctor that can solve cancer. It's like the most hopeless world, a world without God. Now let me bring this home. What am I getting at? The family went to go visit the place where this little girl was frozen here in Arizona. So they traveled from Thailand. They came here. Guess what they took with them to visit her? And to leave it there, by the way, some of her clothes, music CDs, and her favorite toys. Does that sound familiar? The earliest human record that we have of, homo naledi, if we want to call them humans, did that. The Egyptians did that. They buried people with their stuff that they would need in the afterlife. The Greeks did it. The Chinese did it. Human beings want immortality. They want life after death. And they believe in it. In the past, they relied on myths and fake gods. Today, people rely on technology and science. Technology has become our new god. We think that it will save us, but it can't. It's intriguing for me when Brother Chuck and Brother Terry, when they go and have heart operations, it's absolutely incredible what technology can do and how medicine has advanced. But go talk to those doctors. And they will tell you there's a limit as to what they can do and what they can't do. Here is the big question. Animals don't hold burials. Why do we? If we are, as the secular world says, we are just animals. Why do we hold burials? And think about the life you're after and others don't. I just listened to a debate this week between John Lennox and Peter Singer. Peter Singer being an ethics professor and being a total atheist. And he keeps on talking about the suffering of animals being the same as the suffering of humans. It's like we are the same. Like humans are animals. But why is it then that humans bury their dead and care about them even though they're dead and, people and animals don't do that? Chimpanzee, people say, we are 98% or something similar to chimpanzees. Do you know what chimpanzees do to their dead? 
Sometimes they care for them a while and then discard them, and other times they eat them. Why is it that we don't eat our dead? It won't taste good. Why do we even think about life after death? Why are we different? And here's the big question. Why do we want to live forever? Us. Why are we here today? The fact that we're sitting in a church building, that we believe in Jesus, resurrected from the grave. Why? Why do we even think of, why don't we just accept, like the animals, that we are just animals and we die and we return to dust? Well, the answer to that question is best described, in my opinion, by the wisest king that ever lived. I'm just going to read it to you. You can go read it when you get home. And I'll put the key verse on the screen. And you know these verses very well. Listen carefully to what he says. The wisest king that ever lived. There is a time for everything. This is how he starts it. And a season for every activity under heaven. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? Listen to what he says. He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And then he launches this verse. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The reason why we think about life after death, why it comes up in our mind, and what separates us from the animals, is because God has planted in our hearts eternity. Everything. Now, looking at the whole text, everything in this life has a beginning and an end. But in our hearts, we know this isn't the end. We are trapped in a sense. Our earthly experiences contradicts our inner essence. We see everything start and stop, come and go. But inside our hearts, we know and desire something that is greater and something that is eternal. God built eternity into our hearts. We have an immortal sense built into us. That is why we feel uncomfortable with death. You know what it feels like when somebody dies. You know it's like this ought not to be. This person ought to be around. In actual fact, you still believe that they are around. Somewhere. We struggle to accept it and we mourn for the dead. Because we know deep inside our hearts... They are immortal and eternal beings. What we find in tombs 
what we see people do with the dead, what we see modern people try using technology, is simply a fulfillment of meeting the inner need God has placed in our hearts. Uh, John Lennox said, the transhuman endeavor, this is the whole, the whole endeavor to stay alive forever. The transhuman endeavor is an expression of the fact that we are hardwired with a longing for something transcendent that goes beyond this life. And it is trying to fulfill it. Now the people that are not Christian, they call themselves extinctivists. Atheists are extinctivists. An extinctivist is a person that believes we're going extinct. When you die, you're extinct. That's the end of you. The atheist believes that. It's the end of you. But this is the most intriguing thing, and I want, it, I want you to taste this. Go to a funeral where, or a memorial service, whatever they want to call it, where atheists are, and an atheist died. And listen carefully to what they say. Even though they claim God doesn't exist, you know what they always say? Always something like, may you fly up high. May you enjoy your beer on the porch of eternity. You'll hear them say stuff like that the whole time. Because even though they claim to be extinctivist, an atheist, they know in their hearts people live forever. Anyways, let's move on. I find it highly satisfying how archaeology and modern human endeavors reveal the truth that Solomon spoke about 3,000 years ago. What they are digging up in bones and in caves is revealing a truth that Solomon spoke about 3,000 years ago. We are different than the animals. We have an eternal life. We've been made in the image of God. We are eternal beings. Now, I have one point to let this plane land. One point. We were made for another world. We have been designed by God for another world. Not this one. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find myself in myself desires which nothing this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. John Lennox said it in a different way, it would be very strange to find yourself in a world where you get thirsty and there's no such thing as water. The reason why we do this, the reason why we are seeking, the reason why we feel empty till the day that we die without Christ, if we don't find Him, is because we know in our hearts we've been made for eternity. We've been meant to live forever. Beautiful text. All these people, this is the great hall of faith, all these people, Hebrews uh, eleven thirteen, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. That's what we are, foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for He has prepared a city for them. I've got a question for us this morning. Can you feel it? This place is not your home. This mess, the pain, the politics, the promiscuity, the death, the suffering. Through the eternity in your heart, you know what I'm saying is true. That this can't go on forever. You are an alien here. And you've been mocking me all the time for being an alien here. You're an alien too. Perhaps nobody here understands what I'm saying better than myself and my family. Maybe. The only reason why we have been able to leave the land of our fathers. I went to Eugene to the genealogical society. They traced back my ancestry in America. They tra traced back my ancestry. Seven generations. Purebred South African. I left my ancestors. My children will probably never speak Afrikaans or see the Boer culture that I come from. The only thing that will make me leave that and come to a different country that's totally weird. It's because I'm not a citizen of this planet. And the country I live in, and the currency I pay with, and the president, and driving on the wrong side of the road, whatever, that doesn't matter. Because what matters is that I haven't been made for this world. I've been made for an eternal world. This is not it. Sometimes we live as if this is it. If you live as if this is it, you're missing it. You're missing it all. The question once again then becomes this. If we have been made for another world, why are we living in this one? Why are we here? Isn't that the big question then? If God has prepared a world for us, why did He first plant us here on this blue ball? So you guys need to hang out there for a little bit. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I want this to sink in. The earth has been created for us. But we have been created for heaven. So enjoy the earth and everything that's here. It's been designed for us. It's been designed perfectly for us. One of the greatest arguments for theism, for the existence of God, is the fine-tuning of the universe. That if the, if the fine-tuning, if, if the earth was just a little bit to the left or to the right, a little bit smaller, a little bit bigger, the conditions on earth wouldn't have worked for humans to live on. It's been perfectly placed the right distance from the moon and the sun, perfectly placed in space, so we can live here. God has made it that way for us. But we've been designed for something else. Why are we here then? As I read the scriptures, there are various words that pop up the whole time that gives me an indication, a clue. It talks about sieving, refining. You've read that word before, refining. That at the end of time, there's going to be the reaping of a harvest. The sheep's going to be separated from the goats. 
it seems like the earth project, let's call it the earth project, is God's quality control. God is inviting free beings that live on this planet into His world to live with Him. But He is looking for a certain type of person. The gates aren't just open for everybody. He invites everybody, but while they are on the blue dot, gives them an opportunity to become the type of people that He wants to be with Him forever. Life on earth is therefore a means to an end, not an end in itself. Earth experience is about revealing Himself. God is revealing Himself and He's inviting us to Him and He's giving us a taste of Him. So everything on earth has been designed in a way, if you go read Romans 1 verse 20, everything that we experience, our family, the food that we eat, everything that we see, smell, the flowers, the wonderful things that are here, is God's way of saying, hey, that's the stuff I make. That's the type of person I am. The experience that you have with loving your child, the romance that you have with your spouse, all of that is an indication, a taste, a foretaste of what God offers us in His world. And so He's dropped, sprinkled some of His blessings and His beauty and His love and His glory, sprinkled it all over earth. And He says, you go experience that and let's see what you do with that. Because what you do with that will determine whether I'll give you some more forever. So He watches us to see what we do with what He has given us. So let me, let me ask another question. What type of person would you allow to live with you in your house for the rest of your life? What criteria would you set out? You got an extra room in your house? What type of person would you let live there? You might do some research, find out how this guy lived in another man's house, maybe. Um... I've had people stay with me that did very interesting things. Too lazy to walk to the bathroom to use a toilet to urinate. So urinate it in cups and bottles and leave it there. By the time the person moves out, can't understand why the whole house smells like a pigsty. Go into his room, find bottles and bottles of urine because he can't walk 10 feet to the toilet. Or find plates of rotten food under his bed. Too lazy to take it to the kitchen to throw it out and wash the plate. Is that the type of person you'd want to live with you forever? For the rest of your life? What about do a trial run? Like say, okay, come live with me for a month and then we'll decide. We'll see how you handle stuff. I would be... For me, the key thing is this. Honestly, I'm being real. Like, for me, the key thing is this. If I had a house, which I don't have, which I'm wondering if I ever want to have it, if I'm not going to live here anyways, right? I'm going to heaven, so what does it matter? But let's say I did have a house. You know what's the most important thing for me? Most, most, most important thing is 
I want to see how you treat my boys. Because it's, it's their house with me. This is our family unit, right? And if you're going to abuse and be rude with my boys, I don't think there's space for you in my house. I don't want you to come to my house and invade and break up my family and harm my boys. Then you're not welcome. And I think any parent would agree, right? Or am I the only one? Okay, good. Now, I suggest to you today that God is not that concerned with what you do with your socks or how badly you mow the lawn or whether you always make the best decisions or whether you are a morally supreme person. Those things are of no concern for God. But let me tell you this. There's one non-negotiable condition for God to allow you and me into His world. One non-conditional provision. It's how you treat His Son. That's it. Because in this earth project, he sprinkled it full of his blessings, but he sent his son down to live in it. He came to live among us, knowing that we will never be good enough to live with him. He came and he showed himself to us. And what do we do with his son? It's all over scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. You cannot get to the Father except through Him. And so I ask you this morning, nothing that I said this morning is new to us. I say to us this morning, the Son, the Son died and He was resurrected to life. To give us hope. Our hope is in Him. A living hope. Not a frozen hope. A living hope. My question this morning, to close off with, since I have so many questions, is, how are you treating the Son? Did you pray in His name this week? Did you mention His name? You know, I hear people say, yeah. They use Jesus' name in vain. They say, Jesus Christ, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, please tell me that you are not expecting to go to heaven. Because you've just closed the gate to the real world that is to come. How have you used the name of Jesus Christ? How have you walked in His will? Listen to... Have you... Have you have you sought out what he says this week? Have you read any of his words? If he is the key to the world to come, I think he needs to be our top priority. Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Then we sing the closing song.